excited. It's because the scripture that I'm going to share this morning, that we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 12. We'll get there in a minute. Slow down. Um, but I'm real excited about it, and you're going to see exactly why. I have spent this past week studying for the sermon today, thinking about Hebrews 12, 3, and it does nothing but just make you excited. It is like, if there is a scripture for passion, it would be Hebrews 12, 3. So I am pumped. I'm excited. Um, I was talking with uh, Mr. Stephen Harris before service, and I said, you know, I, I'm excited, like, physically, mentally, emotionally excited for today's sermon, and I need to make sure that I lead today with some wisdom and not let the passion dictate how fast I go, uh, because when you get excited, you start talking really fast because it's just so exciting, so amazing, right? So I'm going to try my best, okay, Amen. to slow it down. But if I go fast, know that it is because of passion, not because I'm trying to hurry to lunch, okay? So just know that, okay? I am pumped and excited. So let's get into this right now. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Missouri and uh, we wanted to go into this cave. And so we found these caves and we're all excited about it. And so there's like 20 of us in this group and we're gonna make our way through the cave. Like we are pumped and excited. This is not for the faint of heart when it comes to claustrophobia. Uh, it was a very tight cave. Uh, there's multiple times where you are literally just single file line like this because you're trying to get by the rocks that are like squeezing all around you and just, it was a lot of pressure. Like that's all I could think of when I was in the cave was there is a lot of pressure around me right now that these rocks will squish me like the ant that I used to squish when I was a little kid and just dip in my finger and just no effort at all. These rocks will just smash me to pieces if they move at all. And so we are duck dodging and diving under rocks. It is wild and crazy in this cave. And like I said, there's about 20 of us and we had like three tiny little flashlights, like, like the triple A, thank, thank you, it was very smart, thank you. It was these triple A batteried, you know, flashlights that do no good at all. Like you turn it on, you can tell, oh, that's a flashlight. When you shine it at stuff, it does nothing, right? It was just, it was pointless, probably dollar store, okay? And they were, they were weak, they were flimsy, they were nothing. And so we're basically in this cave blind. Uh, I can't see a thing. And not only that is it dark, not only is it tight, uh, there's multiple times where you can see like where a rock fell, right? Which is so comforting in a cave that this rock is smashed down and you have to crawl on your belly, like not crawl like a baby, on your belly army crawl to get under the rock to the other side. We had to do that a few times. That was wild. That was crazy. Uh, I, I, I don't like to get dirty, um, but I was determined to get through this cave. So I embraced the dirt for this moment, right? But that, that's only part of it because you see, I'm not a critter person at all. Like you see a squirrel, I hate squirrels. Like, I'm just, I don't like critters. I'm sorry, but I just don't like them. But there's bats everywhere in this cave. Like, everywhere, right? There were so many bats that, that we were knocking them off with our shoulders as we walked by rocks. And they'd, they, they'd like hit the ground and those poor little baby rats would hit the ground and it felt like a really far, far fall for them, I guess, because they wouldn't move. And then we would step forward and crush them, right? Oh, don't act like you're a bat activist. Like, it's okay, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, we killed baby rat, baby little bats. I'm sorry. Like, it just happened. But then, we, like I said earlier, I don't like getting dirty. We had to crawl on our bellies on, like, dead bats and, like, bat blood and, like, bat dirt that's been in bat blood. Like, it's just, it was gross. Like, it was nasty. It was like, we're covered, we're getting dirty, and we're killing baby bats. And it was just, like, 
a bad moment for Stevie, I guess. Like, it just was not my thing anymore. Like, I was determined, right? Now I'm like, done. And so when we first got into the cave, the people who were like, hey, we're slow, so we'll go at the end, right? And so the slower people are at the end, so we're kind of ahead of the others. I don't even know if they had a flashlight. Frankly, don't care, right? So I had one and did nothing. Anyway, so we get to the end of the cave, and, and you know what we found? Nothing. We found the end of the cave. <laughs> there was nothing there. Like, nothing. Like, I was hoping there'd be, like, at least some treasure and I could be like, yes, I am Jack Sparrow. Yeah, like I delivered. Here's your bounty. This is amazing, right? No, nothing. There was, there was nothing at the end of the cave. And so us being the geniuses that we were, having the slow people go last, right? Uh, let me tell you right now, I was a victim that day, okay? They would not move. Like we're single file in this cave and now the slowest people are up front. It took us like an hour to get in. I don't know how long, probably an hour and a half to get out of this cave because they just went so slow. Like, hurry it up. My flashlight's gonna die. It's triple A battery. There's no life in this thing, right? I don't even, I don't think the batteries did die, but it was still a concern of mine, right? It was, I was worried. I was gonna be in there really with the dark and it was, it was wild. It was crazy. And, and I'm stuck behind people now who just won't get out of the way right? Maybe you've been there before. I, I think all of us can look back in a time of our life where maybe we felt like we were in a dark place. Maybe we felt like we were in a place where we felt trapped and the people in front of us are just going far too slow, Eagle Road, God bless you, right? <clears throat> maybe you feel like you've come to the end of a tunnel and there's nothing for you there. Maybe you feel like you're crawling in the dirt in this dry and barren place, just hoping that God will show up sooner or later. Maybe, maybe you felt like that before in, in life. I, I know I have, that's how I felt in this cave, but I know that there are mental things and spiritual things and physical things that happen in life that make us feel like we're in this cave. If I had a title for today's sermon, I don't do sermon titles really because I'm not as witty as Pastor Stan. So if I had a sermon title today, <laughs> hey, be careful. He's gonna fall through that hole he put in that seat, okay? He needs to be careful now. So <clears throat> if, sorry. Those of you who've been keeping up with the chair story, you know what I'm talking about, right? But you, you felt trapped before. I, I have felt trapped before and you end up with a dead end trip and nothing gained. I, I know what that's like. I know what it feels like. See, but, but in that cave, I, I could have given up. I wasn't going to because I really wanted fresh air. Um, but it, it was, I wanted out. And so I, but in that moment I could have said, you know what? They're going too slow. My flashlight's gonna die. I see nothing. I feel nothing and I'm killing bats. Like just end it now, Lord. Like I could have given up in the cave and just said, I'm done right? And, and, and part of it was because I was stuck behind people. Look, right now, if you have a victim mentality, thinking it is other people's faults for your mistakes and your failure to take responsibility, that's on you, bro. But, but we are not victims. We cannot have a victim type mentality. Uh, if you have not, please go back to November on Facebook or YouTube on our Change Life channel. Check out the two-part series that pastor did on the victim mentality, getting over the, the, the victim mentality, getting over that thing, check it out. Because we are not victims. God has called us to be victors and to overcome. And so I want to be that person. I want to be someone who overcomes. All right, I'm not gonna be a victim. But maybe you felt like if people would get out of your way, things would just go smoother for you. I don't know. Maybe you felt that way. I'm pretty sure all of us have at one point or another. But I wanna to speak to you today about enduring through the cave, getting through the cave. That is what we are all about today. 
And we're in this series right now called Climate Change. It's up on the screen behind me. And nothing changes the atmosphere of your life like a difficult season. A difficult season is just as much of a change as summer is to winter. It is drastic. It is noticeable. It is cold. It is, some of you might say it's miserable. That's on you. I think it's amazing. I will say it has been a little too cold. I'm looking forward to spring. Side note, like... <clears throat> 20 degrees this morning. Yeah, I'm tired of like going to check the mail and getting a full on like Carhartt jacket on just to go check the mail. Okay, I'm just, I'm kind of to that point, but it's okay, I'm doing all right. Uh, but, but I believe that in all of this, as drastic of a change as summer is to winter or a good season is to a bad season in your life, I believe that God is still working. Even Philippians chapter one, verse six tells us, he who began a good work in you, yes, answer the Lord says, amen. <laughs> He who began a good work in you will complete the work. Now, this is a promise we have in the Bible, Philippians 1, 6. It's amazing. He's gonna finish the work because he's faithful to do so. But this promise that he gives us comes with a stipulation. It is not just, oh, he's gonna make everything perfect for you. Your life is gonna be skipping through a field of daisies in the month of May, and it's gonna be awesome. That, that, is, that is not what this is saying here, this is a stipulation. Let me give you an example. Buying a gym membership does not get you in shape. I wish using said membership gets you in shape, right? It's meaning giving your life to Jesus is just the first step, not the only step. There is a whole lot more to giving your life to Jesus than just saying, Jesus, please forgive me. There's a whole lot more after that, a lifelong term of commitment and saying, I sacrifice and I give up and I give to, and I worship you. It's, it's a lifelong commitment. Giving your life to him is just the first step, not the only step. So if we want God to complete the work in us, then we must continue to follow and apply his principles. The Bible, even in first Corinthians mentions people like this. It says on the day of judgment, it's up on the screen, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. You are the builder who we are talking about here, okay? The builder will be saved, but like someone barely, turn to your neighbor and say barely. Barely escaping through a wall of flames. Pastor talked about this on Wednesday night, about a line of I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't wanna be anywhere near the line. I don't wanna be barely saved. I, I want to live a life committed to Jesus where I'm not like sitting there going, am I gonna make it? I, I'm not interested in that type of salvation. I want a salvation that is sure and steadfast. Amen. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our savior, right. right? Who we have an overwhelming victory, but I am going to commit myself to him, not take one step and call it good. I'm going to give a lifelong commitment to him. And in doing so, he who began the good work in me will complete the work. And that is exciting to me. I want to apply his principles to my life and allow him to perfect me because God knows I cannot perfect myself. And pastor's been reading these verses out of Hebrews. It's our main text that we're looking at, Hebrews chapter 12. He did verses one and two. I'm diving into verse three today. It says this, for consider him who has endured such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is why I am so excited today. And you might see that and kind of pause and look at it and go, okay, but what does that exactly mean? Like, I'm gonna think of Jesus, the hostility by sinners, 
so that I will not grow weary. Like, how is that gonna help me at all? I love that there are different translations to the Bible. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote the message translation going through Genesis to Revelation, writing it as American, uh, as we as Americans would understand. He did a fantastic job doing the entire thing. Um, summarizing is also part of what he did, uh, but also puts in a vernacular that you and I would be very familiar with. So let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse three out of the message. It says this, when you find yourselves lagging in the faith, go over that story again, the cross, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I'm pumped and I'm excited this morning because all week I've been thinking about what he did for me. I've been sitting down in my office. I've been sitting at home. I was up last night, couldn't fall asleep because I was so excited about what he did for me. I'm telling you right now, if you want an adrenaline shot of faith in your life, meditate on this scripture for the next week. And you will walk into church like you just drank 13 rock stars in a cup and a pot of coffee. And you will be so pumped and so excited to dive into worship because man, what he did for me, I can do nothing but express love back to him. And I love the word here that Eugene Peterson used. I'm enamored by this word. He, he didn't say, think of what he endured. He said, think of what he plowed through. It being winter, and that wonderful white stuff that falls from the sky, that beautiful snow that I love so much. I rebuke you, whoever said no. I love that stuff. But I, but I think of those, those plow trucks. And, and when, the, when the snow falls in the ground, I don't care if it's 13 feet of snow, I don't care if it's an inch of snow. When that plow hits the, 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 um, the road and that truck goes forward, the snow moves out of the way. It is so fun to watch. I always get terrified thinking if I like go on that side of the road and they hit me, my, my, I'm, I'm flipping, but I have a Bronco. So I'm like, no, I'll just go through them. But I'm just kidding. That won't happen. But I, I'm, I'm shocked by how easily those plows come through and just throw the snow off of the road onto our driveways. It's just amazing, right? What a blessing. But it, it's, it's so effortless. It just throws the snow everywhere. And when I think of plowed through, that's what I think of. And so when Eugene Peterson says that Jesus plowed through the hostility, I think of that. That to him, it was just, I'm going forward. But with, with a nothing can stop me attitude, I'm going forward with overwhelming victory. I'm going forward with an abundance of strength. And like we talked about last week, because of the joy that was set before him, you are that joy that was set before him and why he was so willing to endure or plow through that hostility. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. He plowed through all of that to embrace you. And when I think of what he did for me, it should shoot adrenaline through my veins, that he would endure a cross, that he would endure a whipping post and beatings and all these things for me, that he himself would experience death so that I could have life. What a blessing it really is. When I, when I first got saved, uh, I was sitting there and I was thinking, not, I didn't know this scripture when I got saved. I had no idea Hebrews chapter 12 really even existed probably. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm at summer camp, which I highly suggest you a teenager, send them to summer camp with Pastor Chase this upcoming summer. They need to get there. It is five days of nothing but Jesus. It is worth the investment. Your boy right here is saved because of summer camp, okay? But I, I remember I was, I was there and I was like, Jesus, like, why would you do that for me? Like, I don't understand why you would 
you know, go to whipping post and I don't understand why you would allow them to spit in your face and rip your beard out and, and punch you and kick you and beat you. And why in the world you would let them drive nails into your hands and your feet to hold you on a cross. And it was almost like in that moment, it was like the first time I really remember hearing God's voice. And it was like God just whispering and saying, son, the nails didn't hold me to the cross. My love held me on the cross. And it's like, he says, didn't I say that I willingly give myself? No man can take my life, but I give my life. And it's so true. His love for you held him on a cross. It's something those nails had no power to do. Those nails didn't have the ability to hold back the son of God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords on a cross. It was his love that held him on a cross for you. And when we think of that, it should shoot adrenaline into our veins because he first loved me, I can then love him back. If he endured for me, I can endure for him. And I'm willing to say this right here. You can put this on the screen. If we lose sight of what his love endured for us, I'm willing to say that we lose sight of our Christian walk. If we forget what he went through for us, we have lost sight of our Christian walk. It all hangs on the cross and the resurrection. It is all right there. It, I love that the Bible that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down the life story of Jesus so that we could read it. But really the only part that we really need to focus on is the resurrection and the cross. That's it. That's where all salvation was won for us. Salvation was not won because Jesus showed up and did miracles. Salvation was not won for us because a little kid gave his, his lunch one day and Jesus turned two fish and five loaves into bread and fed 15,000 people. Salvation was not won for us that day. Salvation was won because he gave his life on a cross and he rose from the dead three days later. That's where salvation, that's where the power is for us all because of his love. And as Christians, when thinking of this right here, that we're willing to, that we lose sight of our Christian walk if we lose sight of love, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14, Paul breaks down love and he breaks down doing things for Jesus. He says, man, you can do all these great things for him. You can do amazing that you can get the entire world saved. But if you don't have love, it's meaningless. He says, yes, you should aspire to do great things for his kingdom, but love should be your highest aim. Loving others, loving him should be our highest aim. And we've got to keep focused on what he did for us in the dark moments of our life, in the moments of the cave. And I get it, in the cave, it's easy. It's easy to say, ah, this is too hard. When the pressure is all around, when it's too dark to see the light at the end of the tunnel, when, when you see no hope, when you have nothing giving you any freedom, but dead bats on the ground. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, I'd rather be a dead bat right now than have to endure this anymore, right? I get it. It's a lot easier in that moment to just take your eyes off of Jesus, but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to use this story to help and assist on what I'm going through, but I think of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I'm going to summarize it just for the sake of time. Uh, but David is there. He's got his, he got a 600 warrior army with him, 600 men warrior army, and they are going off to battle. God instructs them, hey, go and fight. Go do this. Uh, go slaughter these dudes over here because that's all you hear about David doing just amazing things, right? Just go over here and it's like crazy wild, go to war. And so David and his 600 men go off to battle. Well, what they didn't know is that three days later, while they're off at battle, the entire city that they live in is plundered by the Amalekites. So all of the gold, all of the silver that they own, every possession that they have, their wives and their children are taken. 
captive as prisoners. And the Bible is very specific that the Amalekites didn't kill anyone. They just wanted like slaves. They just wanted people to do their things for them. And you know, how Coco, bring it, right? I don't know. But they, they, that's all they did. They just wanted slaves and they took all the possessions. And so David and his men come back from a victory. They come back, yeah, like war, awesome, we won. And they come back and their city's on fire. Everything is gone. All the possessions are gone. They, they, they come back and their wives are gone. Their children are gone. And David in this moment is going, what in the world just happened? God, you told me to go to battle and we come back and everything is destroyed. This is like you leaving right now to go to Meridian, down Meridian Road. You don't want to go to Eagle Road, so you just go down Meridian Road and there's a Carl's Jr. You're like, I'm going to go get Carl's Jr. Because there's not one in CUNA, right? So you go, to, you go to Carl's Jr., you drive back and CUNA is destroyed. Would that not be shocking? It'd be, if we're talking a city, an entire city is destroyed, not just like a block. No, the entire city is devastated. The entire city is destroyed and everyone and everything is gone. That, it would be shocking to see Cuna look like that if you just went to lunch today and came back. You would be blown out of your mind. You wouldn't know what's going on. So David comes back with his 600 men and they get mad at David. Check this out. We're gonna read verses uh, uh, four and six out of 1 Samuel 30. It said, then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep anymore. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. David is there with these guys and he's got 600 men with him and they wanna kill him now. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe that, I believe that leadership is highly important. And so all the men now are mad at David. David, you let us up from here. You're the one who told us that God said to go do this. Why would God tell us to go do this while our city gets destroyed? They're mad at David. In this moment, I think it is very safe to say that David felt very alone. I think David was by himself because of what it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. It doesn't say David and the priests strengthened themselves in the Lord. It doesn't say David and his men strengthened themselves in the Lord. It says David. He alone strengthened himself in the Lord. And I, I'm saying that's who we need to be. We need to be the person who says, you know what? I might feel alone, but I'm not alone. I might feel like no one is with me, but in this moment, physically, no one might be with me, but Jesus is with me Amen. in this moment, in this time. David probably felt real alone. I get it. We'll come back to that in a minute, but David takes his 600 men. He says, God, in this moment of praying, what do I do? And God says, hey, pursue them. Go kill them and get your wives and children back. And the Bible specifically says, you will rescue all who were taken. Not some, not 99%. You will rescue every single one. No one will die. And so David comes back to his men and says, guys, we're going. We're gonna go get our, we're gonna, we're gonna get our women back, Right? We're gonna go to battle. We're gonna, I'm gonna get my wife back. You're gonna get your wives back. We're gonna get our children back. It's gonna be awesome, right? And so they go off to battle, all 600 of them. On the way, 200 get tired. 200, they come up to a brook and they're like, yo, David, this is really comfortable. Can we, can we stay here? Like, now you have to understand the physical condition these men are in. They just went to battle. They, they marched to battle. They fought, Okay. I don't know about you, but welding a sword and a shield is probably not the easiest battle tactic. It's probably very tiring on your body. Then they march back to their city. 
They are crying so hard, the Bible says, that they can cry no more. They've given every ounce of strength to crying and weeping that their families and their things are gone. And then David says, okay, march again. So they go off to march. David said, we're going to battle. 200 of the guys go, yo, I'm done. <laughs> I, I cannot physically give you any more. I know my wives and children are there, but man, I am, I am done. You can probably relate to, relate to a time when you were just done. And these 200 guys are like, yo, we're, we're done. So 400 go with David. They rescue everyone. They take all the money back, all the gold back, but not just what was stolen. See, the Amalekites, they traveled around and took over other places and other cities. So they had a whole bunch of gold. David and his men got all of it. And so they come back to the 200 guys sitting by the brook and they're like, hey, we're back. But you 200 guys didn't go. So you guys can have your wives and children back, but the gold and all the possessions and all this stuff, that, that's ours now. Sorry, you don't, you don't get this stuff. And so David makes a rule, a new law in the land says, hey, those who protect and cover our luggage should still get a, a, a dab in the spoil of what we bring back. They played a part. They just didn't go to battle. They protected what we had. They stayed here and we're back to them now. So you're gonna give them back their wives and their children. And you're also gonna give them back their possessions and also some of what we took from the Amalekites. So they get a share in the spoil, in the, in the bounty, as a pirate would say. We get a, 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 a share in, in what was brought back. And so it actually became a law in Israel. And this is why you probably see it in movies. It started with David. They say, no, no, these guys get a share in what we took as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, I understand physical exhaustion. But if someone takes my wife um, and my kids, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to want to stop at a brook. Um, I will get some water. Um, Actually, actually, if someone wants to take my wife as a prisoner, they probably don't know what's coming. Um, I honestly, I could probably just sit at home and Kristen will just come back and just be like, hey, I handled it. I'm like, I know you did. Like, you know, it, so I get it. And, and, and in case that's not enough, my wife already copy and pasted it into our daughter. And so, um, yeah. I could just probably sit at home, but um, I, I wouldn't want to be one of the 200 guys who stayed back. Um, she, she would kill me, um, and then she would take out the entire army herself. But regardless of the point, uh, all I'm saying is I, I don't know, but it just shows you because I say that, but I'm also not one of these 600 dudes who just went to battle, marched and marched and marched and marched and going to another battle. So I, it just shows you their physical exhaustion level, that they literally feel like they cannot give anymore. I'm showing this to, I'm stressing the point here that they cannot go on any longer. They have given up, you could say, because they, they, they feel like they just can't go on. And I think we've all been there before. Maybe you felt like your house is falling apart. Your family is getting ripped apart. Maybe you feel like when it comes to money, you just put your hands in empty pockets or pockets with holes in them and you just don't know what to do anymore financially. You don't know what you need to do anymore uh, mentally or spiritually. You just feel like, oh, you're done. I, I, I get it. I've been there before, but see, it's in that moment that we need to remember him. What Jesus did for us on the cross what he did through it for us through raising himself from the dead. We need to keep our focus on item by item, what he did and plowed through for us. And in doing so, it will shoot adrenaline. It will give you passion into your very soul. We need to keep our eyes on him through the midst of the empty cave. I don't want to talk to you real quick, three fast points that when you're in the cave, we need to remember number one, that God is with you. 
You've got to know that God is always right by your side. There's a promise in Hebrews chapter 13, one chapter later here. He says this, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. See, you, you've been there just like I have where you're facing this trial and you feel so alone. David felt alone in that moment. Not only did the Amalekites hate him, his own buddies hate him now. He felt alone, but he knew what he was supposed to do. I'm not alone. God is with me. I will strengthen myself in him. And he went away and secluded himself in prayer. Let me tell you right now, a trial is not a sign that God has abandoned you. And just because you're going through a hard season of life does not mean that God is distracted or looking away. It does not mean that God has turned his attention from you. God is not punishing you with a trial that you're going through. God has not abandoned you. A trial is not a sign of that. There's one only time that we see God turn his back on someone in all of scripture. And it's the only time he'll ever turn his back on someone. It's when Jesus hung on a cross and bore my sin and your sin to forgive us. And the only reason why God turned his back on Jesus was so that he could turn himself to you, to embrace you for the joy set before him. He plowed through the hostility for you. It's the one and only time that we see God abandoning anything or anyone. A few weeks ago, my daughter was driving a go-kart that we got for Christmas and we wanted to give them the go-kart early for Christmas. Uh, One, because I think I'm the best dad ever. And two, uh, because they were about to go on Christmas break. And so we're like, we don't want them to wait halfway through Christmas break to get this present. Like, why don't we just give it to them now? And then they just, they can have fun during Christmas break. That way it's two weeks of fun, not one week of fun, right? Thinking, Best dad ever, let's do this, right? And so we, uh, we, we get the, the go-kart set up and all of our neighbors are out and the kids are doing laps around the cul-de-sac and it's just like, wow, this is awesome. Like so much fun, this is amazing, right? Having not a clue of what's about to happen, right? Not a, an ounce of, of clue. So Tatum gets in the thing and uh, if you know my daughter, she is just a fearless little like go-getter and so she will try anything. She's already asking to go skydiving. I've said no, um, but she, she, she jumps in this go-kart and it's like she's a Formula One driver. She just takes off, like doing weird little crazy stunts and, and making turns. I was just like, wow, like, Kristen, I think we have a gift in our daughter. This is amazing, right? Like, good job, dad. Great job. Like, this is amazing. I found a hidden talent, right? Riker gets in and he's a little more hesitant to it, but then he starts going and he's doing laps around and he's having fun and going crazy. Our neighbors get in, they're having fun and doing laps and going wild. And I'm like, wow, like, Yes, like cul-de-sac of the year, dad of the year award, let's go, holler, right? Right when we're about to say, okay, let's go, because it starts raining, right? I don't know what this is, but this is rain apparently, but <laughs> sorry. And so we're about to just say, hey, okay, let's stop, let's, let's be done. And so I go running up to Tatum, she's in the go-kart, and Kristen comes running up saying, okay, okay, we're done, we're done, we're done. And I was like, no, we're not, and I push the cart off right? And Tatum hits the gas and goes down the cul-de-sac. She whips it around like Tokyo Drift style, comes right back at us. She hits the brake, turns the car as hard as it will go, and just does a full-on barrel roll, flips over. You've seen her in a cast. She had two elbows on her left arm for a minute there. The bone came out like it was just like, right? It was just bad. Like, (laughs) I don't do blood. I told you already. I just don't do blood. And so, I'm trying to be like as gentle as I can, but all of my attention is now on my daughter, my nine-year-old little baby girl who has scared me her entire life because of how brave she is, right? And 
all of a sudden I'm thinking, I'm not the best dad. I went from best dad ever to literally like, why do you even have kids? Like in a moment, like it was bad. And so we're like trying to like gently, but swiftly take her jacket off so we could get a good look at her arm. And the moment I see her arm, it is like, it, it looked like an ocean, man. It was just like, it was, oh, right. It was like, yeah, it's broken. It's broken. It's like, don't touch it. Like it's broken. Okay. We know it's broken. And Chris is like, are you sure? I'm like, I know it's broken. Like, look at it. Literally just drops. Like it's a half pipe in her arm. Right? It's just, this is not normal. So we jump in the car. I got Tatum in the back seat and I'm telling Kristen to run every single stop sign, stop light in the world because it's Idaho and no one's on that back road over there. Like Locust Grove, it's empty. Just go. Like it is, just do it, right? I mean, she was being this responsible driver and you know, so good on you. But anyways, trying to, she was trying to be dad of the year, okay? And so we get to the hospital, we get to the ER room and they rush us into a room right away. Like it was like a front of the line pass. So the next time I have to go to the ER, I'm just gonna like go in and spank my daughter and like cry and like, let's go. Because like, <laughs> they like literally right to a room. They didn't even check us in. They literally just said, you're in here. Um, and so we, we get in the room and I realize I go, hold on a second. Kristen, me, Tatum, where's my son? Like, <laughs> just don't act like you're any better, okay? You would have done the same thing, okay? Dad of the year, okay? And, and so we're sitting in the room and I look at Kristen and I say, is Riker okay? Like, is he with your parents? Like, I don't even know where he, like, he could be in Mexico right now. I have no idea. Like, where is my son? And uh, so luckily Kristen's parents were there and they had Riker. But in that moment of chaos, all of my attention went to one kid. And, and I think what we do as, as humans, and I think you would do the same thing in this moment, all of your attention would go because you have a mental capacity. There's only so much you can mentally think about at one time. Ladies have a higher mental capacity, right? Guys, literally, if we don't have a soundtrack telling us breathe in, breathe out, we would all die. Okay, so ladies have a little bit more mental capacity than, than us men. But what I'm getting at here is we project that capacity on our father God, and we think that he has a capacity. So if there's something going on, on in someone else's life, we think all of his attention is over there. We, we think that God has turned from us to, to go deal with this child at the neglect of you. And that's, that's not the case at all. God doesn't neglect anyone. See, God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere at all times. You say, how is that possible? When you hold the universe like this, it's pretty easy. You are everywhere at all times. Everything is in your scope of view. See, he has a mental capacity that is limitless. He can see every detail of your life. He knows every hair on your head. He, he knows you intimately. He knows everything you desire, everything you want, everything you need. He is very well acquainted with you. So what makes us think that he would not be attentive in the moments of chaos? I would say in the moments of chaos, he's even more attentive, just like a normal father would be. So, so we think we are alone, but in reality, no, you probably have more attention on your life from the heaven, from heaven's throne room than you could ever imagine. There is a spotlight from his throne on you. He is very attentive to you. He is aware of what you are going through. He sees all, he's aware of all, but more importantly, he is in all. God has never left you and he never will. Which leads me right and directly to point number two. When you're in the cave, you need to remember that God has a plan. He has a plan. See, God created humans in his image 
And uh, this is exciting because I believe that we see different aspects of his character in the, the gender of, of male and female. I think we both, uh, looking at men and women, you can see aspects of who God is uh, in them. Uh, one particular I want to look at and laugh about right now is uh, the insatiable desire of a man to fix things, right? Nothing in my house that has electronics in it gets thrown away if it's broken without me taking it apart to figure out if I can fix it. I don't care if it's a radio from 1982. I'm taking it apart and I'm gonna fix that thing. I'm gonna retrofit where I can and what I can to fix it, right? I just, I, I'm, in, I'm interested in that. I think a lot of guys are. Uh, women, uh, I'll, I'll share a, a thought from women then. Uh, I think a character that we see in women that we also see in God is the desire to be heard. I, I think God is in heaven speaking and he wants us to listen. And that's an aspect of, of women. It's like, hey, do you hear me? If you just do this, it'll fix the issue. No, do you hear me? God is looking for us to listen and to hear him. So I, like I said, I think we see aspects of God in, in both male and female, but one is that desire of a man to fix things. And a few months ago, uh, we had these two box fans, okay? And uh, they both broke at like the same time. It was a really weird situation. I was like, how do both box fans like break at the same time? They're different brands. And so I was like, well, if this is what's broken on that one and that's what's broken on that one, I can marry these things and I can make this work. Like I can make it happen. So I'm getting excited. I go out in the garage. I get all my tools out. I lay them all out nice and neat, which is really messy, right? And it's all there. It's like, okay, this is great. So I start taking these fans apart. I'm drilling new holes in, in, the, in the fan casing, whatever the heck you want to call that thing, so that I can get the screws in so that I can like retrofit it together, right? And I'm thinking, wow, what a great job, Stevie. This is amazing, right? But then not only that, like I took both power cables and put them together because if you have a box fan, you know how like pointless it is to put it in the window and it doesn't even reach the plug. You're like, no, I, I want a box fan window with a power cord that I can plug in downstairs and take it upstairs. That's what I want out of my box fan, okay? So I put the two cables together. I'm all excited. Like this is gonna be amazing. I put the fan back together. I'm, well, my Stevie Nicks brand fan, right? Put it back together. I plug it into my power strip. And I'm like, this is great. It's going to work. I walk up to it, turn it on. Like electric shocks are going everywhere. I'm like, ah, like it's scary. It's crazy. Electricity's flying everywhere. Your house is just fine. I promise. Okay. But I, I, I didn't even tell Kristen this until today because I didn't want her to take my tools away. So Kristen has not even heard this part of the story. Like this is a first for her too. Right. But so often I think that we address life like a box fan, we go into it without a plan, without understanding of what is needed. And, and we treat life like a, like a simple little box fan. Yeah. And then we wonder why the house is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Be, because you didn't have a plan. Because you didn't come at it with an agenda. You didn't come at it saying, I know what this needs to look like. You just came at it haphazardly, threw pieces together, put some cables together and called it good. No, life is a lot bigger than a box fan. Don't treat it like a box fan. We, we, we get so caught up in just haphazardly going about life. And I talked about this two weeks ago, about setting goals and making direction in your life. You can't treat life like a box fan and expect the house to work just fine. We have got to be people with a plan. God has a plan. Amen. When you are in the thick of it, when you are in a trial and it is hard and it is crazy and annoying and difficult, God has a plan. And he has a purpose and the purpose has a, a meaning to your pain. There's a, there's a purpose to the pain. See, we, we, we're in this trial, and, or maybe the trial you're about to be in, you don't even know it yet, but God has a plan for your current trial. He has a plan for your future trials. 
He has, he's had a plan for your entire life. He, he has been working this whole thing out detail by detail to work out the plan that he has for you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we just need to take a praise break in the middle of the storm and just say, God, I worship you. In the middle of it saying, God, I know you got a plan. I don't see the plan, but God, I, I know that you're with me and I know that you have a plan. And for that, I will, I will worship you. I will glorify your name. I will lift up the name of Jesus on high and I'll find shelter in the wing of the almighty. I will stick to you. We need to take a praise break sometimes and just worship him because he has got it under control. And because of that, part of the purpose behind your pain is number three, when you're in the cave, remember, we need to grow. We absolutely 100% need to grow. Rick Warren, he's a pastor, he said this, an author. He said, I've learned little from pleasure, but I've learned much from pain. I've learned little from pleasure, but much from pain. I can't help but agree with Rick Warren today. When I graduated from Bible college, uh, my pastor pulled me aside and he says, get ready because class begins tomorrow. And uh, at first, to be honest, I, I really didn't understand what he was saying. I knew what he was saying, but I didn't know what he was saying. I understood that, yes, I'm still gonna learn. I'm still gonna grow, I get it. But I didn't understand the gravity of what he really meant. You see, you go to college and for me, it was Bible college, but you, you learn kind of the, the book smarts behind this, the homiletics, the hermeneutics. And I say those words and it probably flies over many of our heads in this room, but it's basically the study of scripture. It sounds really cool when you say it though. But, See, I, I learned the book smarts of how to study this and how to, how to get it in me and understand what it's saying or how to break down a context and understand what's going on at the time and the season that it was written and the importance of that. But you see, what I, what I didn't learn is how to take this and, and, and teach it. I didn't learn that in Bible college. I didn't learn how to take a scripture and understand its importance so I could stand on a stage and go, hey, this is what this means for you and bring freedom. I, I had to learn that by experience. Let me, let me give you another example. We had a building meeting on Thursday and we were going over the plumbing and um, pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the instructions on that plumbing page were in English, correct? Yes. They, they were in English. <laughs> I read those plans. I think all of us in this room can read those plans. It's English. I promise you it's English. I'll spell check it just to make sure, but it was English. I could lay those same plans out to you right now. I'd say maybe three, four, maybe five in this room would actually understand what they mean. Why? One, we don't have the book smarts, but two, we don't have the experience. I don't know any of you who have actually built a building and had to lay plumbing and cover it with foundation and make sure the toilet on the far east side of the building is high enough so that the water and the nasties can get into the sewage. Okay? I've never had to think of that. I, I just, you flush the toilet, it's gone. Like, it's just, what are you talking about? There's, there's plumbing under there? Like, trust me, that's where I was, okay? It's the experience of going through it. See, I had the, the book smarts of understanding how to figure things out in the Bible, but I had no experience of teaching how to apply that to your life, how, how to get on a stage and communicate it in an effective way. That comes by experience, and I hope to God I continue to get better. I hope to God I continue to grow, but it's the life experience that's gonna prepare me best for teaching of his word. I agree with Rick Warren so much. It is the difficult things that teach us the most. Yeah. Now, I've said this before, but God is not in the search and rescue team. He, the father does not fly like a pilot on this helicopter we call the Holy Spirit for Jesus to hook up to a steel cable wire and drop down into our mess, grab us and lift us out. No, this is not an episode of The Bachelor, okay? 
He's not in that business. Very rarely does God actually provide a way out for us like that. Very rarely. God provides grace for us to plow through the pain, to plow through the cave and the trials that are ahead of us. Pain, what a teacher. What a te- I wouldn't understand the importance of trust and a friendship if I had never experienced the pain of being stabbed in the back. I, I would never understand the value of honesty without ever experiencing the pain of being lied to. And likewise, I would never know the value of my faith in Jesus if it had never been tested. That's life. To have faith is just that, to be tested. What else is faith for if not to be tested? That is the purpose of faith. It's the purpose of hope. Hope is only strongest and alive in the midst of darkness. We don't have hope when things are great. We only have hope in the darkness. It's the pain of the trials that helps us grow and mature in our walk with Jesus. That's why the book of Philippians also instructs us, rejoice in all things. It doesn't say rejoice for all things. Many things don't need our rejoicing. Going through the pain, going through the hurt, it says rejoice in all things because at any given moment I can stop and say, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, there's no one like you. Father, this morning I worship you and praise you. Father, I lift up the mighty name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name as Lord and Savior. At any moment, you see, we can stop and take a praise break. Even during a sermon, I can stop and just thank him for his goodness. I can rejoice in all things. Summarizing this up, when you're in the cave, remember this, God is with you. God has a plan and we need to grow. Let me wrap this up. What's hard is that We're in this trial, we're in this pity party moment of what is going on. And and the question we always ask ourselves is how long do I have to deal with this for? How long do I have to struggle with this? And so often we count how long it takes for things to end. I've heard people say, even I have said, man, I've been struggling with this for 10 years. I've been struggling with this sin for five years. I've been going through this trial, man, it seems like forever. I've been praying about this for as long as I can remember. I've been fasting for five hours. God, how much longer, right? It's your boy, I'm a foodie, okay? Let me tell you right now, can I just encourage you today? Stop counting. Stop, stop counting how long it takes. Stop. What I've learned is that we as humans, we count up while oftentimes God counts down. What do, what do I mean by this? We add up the days that we've been in the fight. We've been up the days we've been in the struggle. We're in the cave. We keep, how, keep in mind how long we've been away from the light of the sun because it's dark, maybe a little fear, whatever it may be, we, we keep it in mind. We count up and the problem is that as long as we're counting up, we're leaving infinity as an option. You're leaving forever as an option. As long as you're counting, numbers don't stop. I am not a scientific genius, but numbers cannot stop. They just go on and on and on forever. So this is always how it's gonna be now. I'll just never recover from this. This sin will always be a temptation of mine. Come on, Eeyore. No, stop counting up. We think the trial is gonna last forever, but what I'm saying is God counts down. Let me me show you this in scripture because in his perspective, there's gonna be an end date. Jesus is on the cross and they laid his dead body in a tomb, a cave, if you will, for this morning's purposes. All the while, Peter's there and he's like, man, this is, the, this is the first worst day of my life. Like, what in the world am I gonna do now? 
he wakes up the next day and he comes out to the living room. He's getting some breakfast, some, I don't know, Cheerios, whatever. He says, Thomas, did you sleep good last night? Man, I didn't, I didn't sleep good. Thomas is there, man, I didn't sleep good either, bro. That was rough. That's just, Peter, what are we gonna do, man? I, bro, I have no idea. I have no idea. This is second day of the worst days of my life. This is terrible. They wake up the third day, not having any clue about what's about to happen. They wake up and say, man, this is day number three. Should we go fishing? I don't even know what to do anymore. Like, do we go back to what life was like before him? Or like, what do I do? Like, I gotta be careful here in Jerusalem. People know me because they saw me. Like, I don't even, Thomas, I don't even know what to do, bro. Matthew, what are you doing? I don't even know, bro. Three worst days of my life. See, they knew Jesus was in the cave because they counted up. Meanwhile, God the Father's in heaven going three, two, one, here comes my deliverance. Meaning God had a plan. God had a specific moment when freedom would come. And the disciples are sitting there just thinking, this is how it is now. This is gonna go on like this forever. He's gone. Meanwhile, God is saying, just wait for my deliverance. People, us, me, stop counting realize that his deliverance is coming for some of us in this room or maybe watching online right now that deliverance has come right now that God had a plan that he orchestrated long before your birth that you'd show up to change life church on February the 6th 2022 to hear a message of love and repentance and mercy and forgiveness that you would say, Jesus, I cry out, you are my Lord and Savior and I commit my life to you. Maybe for some of you, that's this moment right here, right now, that God has had a plan for you, that you would give your life to him and sacrifice it as your first step, not your only step with him. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed, across this room, you're in the cave. You've been in the cave. You've seen no light at the end of the tunnel. You're surrounded by pressure. You're surrounded by dirt. You're surrounded by pain. You're in this room and you say, you know what? I have never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and to claim him as my Lord. If that's you in this room, would you please do me a favor and raise your hand right now? No one is looking around, just me. Anyone, hold your hand up so I can see it. Awesome. Let me pray for you real fast. Lord, this morning we worship you and lift up the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you so much for who you are, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, that you had a plan for us. And this morning, God, no matter what situation we may be, whether we're in the cave or we're walking on the prairie, whatever situation we find ourselves in today in our individual lives, Lord, I pray this one thing, that we would walk out of here knowing that you are with us, that you have a plan, and it's your grace that it's gonna allow us to grow. We, we solidify in our hearts today to be committed to you, no matter what, and give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? He's good, he's amazing, absolutely. Got a couple things uh, before we close. Again, next steps is tonight. So if you're newer to the church, please join us at five o'clock. And uh, if we could get some help, uh, all the strong dudes in the house, or if you're a really strong lady too, you can help too, I guess. Uh, but we wanna just clear out the back rows behind the sound booth on the wings and the middle. And we're gonna get some tables out for dinner tonight. So if you have a few minutes to help out, we'd really appreciate the help. And uh, if you're newer, we'll see you here tonight. And go fill out a connect card if you are here for the first time. Yes, thank you, Lisa. That's awesome. And uh, 
Um, if not, we will see you Wednesday at seven o'clock for midweek. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.